Welcome to Mad About AV, your industry-leading source for insights about all things AV and interactive systems. At Mad Systems, we take pride in delivering cutting-edge exhibits and interactives that evolve alongside your industry and leave a lasting impact. And this podcast will let us bring you along for the ride. It's time to show you why we're Mad About AV. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mad About AV, a Mad Systems podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. We appreciate you listening along. As you're listening, make sure that you're going to our website, madsystems.com, for more information on solutions and services, as well as some projects that we're working on, and of course, more Mad Systems content. And also make sure you're subscribing to Mad About AV on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, where you'll get a full catalog of previous episodes as well as notifications when we drop new ones. So today's episode of the podcast is a stacked one. We have five different thought leaders joining us to speak to not only the state of the audiovisual industry in 2021, but also expanding on how women are guiding the future of the industry and how COVID has shaped the industry for better or for worse. All five of our guests today are women in the industry with a variety of different backgrounds, everything from PR to technology development to C-suite leadership and everything in between. So let's go ahead and introduce our five thought leaders and get into our roundtable discussion. We're going to go down the line. We'll start with Trisha Ensing, CEO of Mad Systems. Trisha, great to have you on. Thank you, Daniel. We're also joined by Tony Lozier, Business Development Manager with Mad Systems. Tony, great to have you on as well. How are you? Thank you. Very good. Thank you. We're joined by Lisa J. Shanley, Director of Global Business Development with Technomedia. Lisa, great to have you on. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks, Daniel. We're also joined by Jenny Ogden. She's the president and executive producer of IQ Productions, as well as COO and co-founder of 4D Fun. Jenny, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Fantastic. Last but not least, we're joined by Sabelle Jones. She's the CEO of SEGD, otherwise known as the Society for Experiential Graphic Design. Sabelle, great to have you on. Thank you. Super excited for the conversation. So we have so many people to source thoughts from today. So I want to start by just opening up the conversation to something timely. Uh, Part of our conversation today is how COVID has shaped the industry for better or for worse. So I think we should start there uh, and sort of set the tone for what has changed and how is that going to impact things moving forward. And then we'll get into technology and other aspects of our conversation. So we'll start by just posing a uh, an opinionated question here from all of you. And I'm, I'm curious your answers. When do you think the quote-unquote normal that we've been hearing so much that we'll we'll return to normal eventually. Uh, Are we ever going to return to said normal? When do you think that's going to happen? Does a normal even exist? Or are we in a post-COVID environment that is so unique that we need to just adapt for the now? Uh, And have you seen any positive changes in all of this? Go ahead and give us your thoughts on that current state of of the workflow and whether we're going to see any return to what we think is quote-unquote normal. I'm going to chime in here. I think that really the old normal that we all are so fond of and think back on nostalgically (laughs) is gone. I really don't think we're ever going to go back to that. I don't think we can 
you know, we keep saying whenever we return to normal, I think people have learned to say some semblance of normalcy. But recently, McKinsey came out with a research paper and they posited it in a unique way saying we're probably going to be referring to it as the pre-COVID era and the post-COVID era. And I think that's how the AV industry has to adapt, in my own opinion. Great. I, you know, I had some thoughts on that um, as, as I was looking to pivot from mostly working in live entertainment to looking at how to present, um, you know, a virtual version of that live experience. And I've always said from the get-go, first of all, that this is really forcing us to really push innovation. Um, so some good has come out of this. The new normal isn't going to be the same as the old normal, but when we do go back to gathering in, you know, theaters and music festivals and events and theme parks and everything else, all of that virtual footprint we've created is going to be a yes and proposition. I don't think that that's mm. just going to go away. I think that we now have, you know, this, this virtual footprint that's of value, of great value, because, you know, no matter where you're going, you're going to, you know, a venue and that there's, it's constrained, you know, by capacity and location. Mm -hmm. And now that we've got that virtual footprint for a lot of these places, then, you know, we don't have those, those same constraints. So I agree. we can still reach a global audience um, and have the in-person live experience um, and they're both valid. They're different. I certainly look forward to going to live theater again and live concerts. But um, that virtual footprint, I think, still holds a lot of value. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think there was it was the disruption was inevitable. Um, it's unfortunate that it came with so many lives lost. But I believe that we've been this is an evolution of how technology has been interfacing with the physical environment. And now we've had to just pivot even more quickly. And in our organization where we're dealing with cultural institutions and placemaking and destination environments, I think that a lot of the cultural sector was behind the game. And this has just escalated and, um, you know, pushed it forward to really understand what a complete experience is in both the physical and complementing that in in the virtual. So I don't know that we're going to ever, I'm kind of leaving the word normal out because I think it is an evolution. Certainly all AVN media has been driving us to, you know, change what experiences are so that they become more personalized, that we can take things home with us. And now we're, we're looking at what is our future when we go back to physical? Physical. How do those physical experiences complement and extend our experiences when we're remote and virtual? I think that um, these ladies all have very good viewpoints and all from different um, thinking levels. Um, I agree wholeheartedly with um, each and every one of them. And I think that if we can um, conform, I'm going to use the word conform, but to some of the health restrictions, we all um, have different safety comforts that will allow us to return to some normalcy to begin to interact with each other again 
the changes that we've seen virtually, I completely agree. I don't think it's going to go away. It's going to enhance the visitors because not only can they prepare for going, but they can also take it home and continue their experience. And I think that that's really um, an amazing thing that we've taken away from this COVID experience. Um, it's been a true disruptor and I think it will, um, the lessons we've learned will continue forward and uh, enhance um, our lives. I agree. <laughs> I love that. You know, we have to look on the bright side, right? Um, all of the innovation that has come out of this has been spectacular. And um, I don't know, I could go on and on, but I'll let Daniel lead the conversation. <laughs> No, I, I think you all set the stage really well here. And, you know, I think when we talk about COVID, we have to, uh, you know, both realize some of the changes that COVID brought on were already existing in the space. When we think about AV experiences and the way that that unique user-led experience uh, was leading integrations before COVID hit, you know, the changes that affected that space in some ways were unexpected in some ways are major adaptations and in other ways were trends we were already seeing that were just amplified or accelerated by covid so i'm curious your thoughts on what those differences are uh when you describe the medium-term impact of covid on av what would you say are changes that we were kind of already expecting but had been accelerated and now we just have to deal with this accelerated reality and what changes were completely unexpected and have now placed the industry in a completely new landscape thoughts i think there's two really great things that have come out of this time period and one is democratization and access you know, we're seeing virtual experiences and events where we can have speakers uh, joining in from as far as South Africa, Asia, Europe, India, South America. We also are able to provide access of knowledge and experiences across a really broad spectrum of backgrounds and ages and, and geography. So that's exciting. I think the other thing that's really exciting is experimentation. And I think that when we get too secure and set in our ways, we tend to be motivated by getting jobs done, doing the work, and we don't really push ourselves. And so I'm really excited by what people like Lisa and Tony are doing, you know, where we're really looking at an opportunity to take advantage of this time to be experimental because I do agree. And I think it was Trisha that was saying it. When we go back, we're going to, I believe, always have some sort of hybrid approach of, you know, how we interact and experience um, any kind of com content or, or retail or what those things are that we're doing for entertainment. Uh, the thing that sticks out to me as I love that you uh, bring up the experiential and all of that, because that is, that's been a huge one, right? All of these, the metaverse and all of the things that people have decided to jump into because they're just at home and bored. <laughs> but also the other thing that um, was already starting to come 
to fruition, I guess, in the marketplace and in just everyday life was remote work. People were starting to do that. At my former job before in 2019, we worked from home one day a week and we went into the office four days a week. But now, I mean, this job that I have was already remote, but everybody's remote now. And the things, how that impacted AV was how do you, how do companies ramp up their capabilities to be able to allow their their employees to work from home with secure networks and things like that? So it's been really interesting. There has been some serious consequences on all of those for the AV industry, which I'm not sure everyone is aware of, but cameras are really difficult to get a hold of. And um, so are microphones and they'll be on the market now and then all of a sudden they're unavailable. And so when you're <laughs> building stuff and installing still continued through COVID, it's been a challenge for us out in the AV fields to get a hold of some products and a lot of computers too and screens and monitors. And these are all shorthanded because they're being purchased at, uh, you know, quantities to um, make sure that everybody has what they need to work at home, which one would not think about. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes sense. I, I, I was going to say, you know, um, with my company, IQ, we, we used to put up shows all over the world. And so we had already had to have everything set up. So if we were on a ship in the Netherlands and needed to dial into the server and grab some content or, or an effect that we had on file, we could do so. So we were already pretty well set up for going remote if we needed to. That helped a lot. I'm sure there are a lot of other aspects uh, that were already starting to happen that we've talked about, you know, in in the industry, virtual reality and augmented reality and all of those things that aren't in real life, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that have definitely grown since the pandemic. But what else do you guys think? What else has grown well, I, I would I would um, actually point out with the virtual reality and the and the release of the Quest Two for like two hundred ninety nine dollars, mm -hmm. a lot more people can afford to do that. It used to be that you know the headsets and the gear that you needed for virtual reality were a little bit out of reach for people. Um, now you know it's cheaper than buying it you know an iPhone, so a lot more people are jumping in and experiencing these and I'm seeing a lot more social VR and, um, you know, exchanges on the metaverse, building out, um, you know, different types of experiences for people. And I think in the future, we're going to see a lot more in the spatial computing and AR field as well. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that was just kind of a, an extra push into the into the metaverse that everybody uh, decided to take that leap this year. I'm going to cut in here real quick. I want to get to technology here soon, but you've all brought up a few things that piqued my interest. First, uh, I want to highlight, Lisa, something really interesting about your entrance into the AV space is you were furloughed during COVID. And so you joined the AV industry completely remotely at a time where the entire industry has had to rethink how can we provide these experiences in a remote setting? Uh, mm -hmm. and how can we reach end users remotely? So especially in a in a PR setting where your whole goal is keeping ear to ground, 
understanding what end users want, developing the tactics to, uh, to communicate that effectively. What has that experience been like entering the industry completely remotely as the industry has had to shift to communicating and developing experiences remotely as well? Has that given you any insights or made it in some ways uh, more intuitive? <laughs> well, I, I can't speak to the PR aspect because although I have a PR background, that isn't my role at, at Technomedia. Sure. However, first of all, I joined the, the industry as a newbie to the industry in and of itself in January. So I had about three months of, you know, in-person meetings before I was furloughed and then brought back remotely with no training <laughs> after that or anything. So from my own experience, that there, it has been a true challenge to be able to engage from a sales perspective, because that's what I do, business development, um, to actually be able to get engaged with people who don't know me. How do you, if you can't visit their office, if you can't send them something in the mail, even if it's a gift or a package or whatever, if you don't have a, a phone number for them because they don't, they're not at their desk anymore, how do you engage with people? And so that has been the challenge. And I think it's not just an AV problem. I think it's an, um, society problem and and a question for the masses as to what are the best solutions you know that's something for focus groups right you want to ask them how would you respond to people if you don't know them and you can't meet them in person that's been the challenge for me and so maybe some of the other ladies here would have some answers as to that could help me myself in the business development arena because it really is for me it's either linkedin and you know it's all of the social media aspects and um in terms of av the biggest challenges have been connectivity you know people have personal internet connections getting you know the internet to not cut out on you and things like that but that's all i that's my only insight on the on the av aspect of it and being in um the same situation lisa is in as far as marketing but my experience goes back 22 years in the marketing in the av industry being connected is number one and knowing the people out there and in lisa's situation she came in early in covid her connections were limited. So um, anyone that's out there that is in the same situation, it is so important to remember that not only is it important to be marketing your company, but you've got to market yourself. Making mm -hmm. sure that you're staying on top of all of the things that are going on in your industry and writing stories and being active on platforms, social platforms like LinkedIn, making yourself known as being knowledgeable in the industry so people reach out to you and getting your story out there. I think that is one of the most important things that you can do. I agree. It's such a good point. I didn't think about it, but I also, I left a 28-year career as a principal of an international um, museum exhibition firm to join a nonprofit in, in May. So here I was taking over right when the conference, <laughs> in-person conference had been canceled. And I'm trying to introduce myself and I'm trying to show value to membership. And, you know, all of our sponsors were like, we don't do virtual. 
You know, we, mm-hmm. we only want to go and see people in person and have cocktails, you know, at the bar at night. And so, <laughs> you know, I didn't have a lot of time to really think about how I would do my outreach. And I think it's a really important point that you bring out, um, Trisha, which is that what I started to do is I held, and I'm actually um, starting them again in 2021, these open up sessions. And I did them at different time zones. And I really just allowed people and membership and partners to get to know me, um, to mm-hmm. see my face, to ask any question that they wanted to try to get the pulse of like where people were, what was impacting them the most, what they cared about. And I've also spent more time on social media than in the entire, you know, <laughs> amount of my career. I'm on Instagram. I'm on, I've even proposed TikTok, um, you know, and it's, it's just, you have to, and I, I, you guys will appreciate this, but I feel like every morning I actually work at a news broadcast station because, you know, you get ready and you get on and you're, you're on Zoom and all the events that you're creating are, you're all of a sudden a producer, which, you know, before you weren't doing those kinds of things. So it's a very interesting time. <laughs> It really is. It's funny when you say you think you're producing or you're broadcasting, I feel like I'm the talent. I've got my hair, my makeup, I've got my lighting. I've got, you know, can I borrow you? (laughs) (laughs) But it it definitely has changed. I I noticed uh, as a producer, (laughs) um, actually, as um, I'm an officer of the Producers Guild and uh, chair of the New Media Council. And what I found when we first went into this lockdown and the whole industry, you know, shut down um, was that I had this sense of responsibility towards everybody that's, you know, in the membership in the new media council. And um, I was just, I was doing so much outreach and making sure that I communicated with people and making sure that we got, you know, a group, a private group Facebook page to lift each other up and, you know, make sure people are communicating and helping each other and hiring each other if, you know, if there's work and that sort of thing, that I was just exhausting myself. And I found that so many people were calling me to ask, well, what's next? What's the next innovation? How can we work? You know, what can we do? Um, All the way down to, you know, people I knew, a, a couple of publicists reached out to me to teach them how to do Zoom. I mean, it was like, <laughs> it was yeah. like a full-time job just yeah. talking to people about and, and, and also trying to lift people's spirits and, and tell them, you know, you're a new media producer. This is the time to look at innovation, to look at the different technologies and platforms that you can be playing in and different formats and different ways that you can tell the story that you're inspired to produce, that you're inspired to tell. You can't fly to London to shoot your piece, but you know what can you do with animation? What can you do on these different platforms with digital, with VR, with AR? Look at your transmedia background. Really, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. teach yourself and and use this as an opportunity. And the other thing that I noticed that has, if we're still talking about what was around and, and has become more um, prevalent now is, and since um, it was brought up, the social media <laughs> cracked me up, but LinkedIn. I mean, I have found more 
engagement and more traction, being involved and being present and being active on LinkedIn than I ever could have imagined. I was never very, I mean, I was always Facebook, Instagram and other things, but from a business development and sales perspective, presenting yourself um, and your projects, your audiovisual projects in an effective way that's going to reach your audience has been has been um, really phenomenal in, in um, engaging people. So that's been interesting. I would agree 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was always there, but I never, never utilized mm -hmm. it as much as I have this year. Absolutely. All right, I'm gonna transition over a little bit. I feel like we've talked on some of the hot technologies, so I don't know that I wanna to pose too many questions there so we can move on to some other uh, juicy content that we've got mapped out. But um, I want to speak a bit to community as part of the AV experience. We mentioned earlier how the AV experience has been very democratized because of the pandemic. And in a lot of ways, uh, whether financial or technology or uh, geographic or regional barriers that might have kept someone from experiencing these kinds of installations now get a virtual or digital experience and can get something comparable, if not even more immersive. And I think what, or at least what I've found has been consistent whether it's in person or whether it's digital is embracing community and really trying to hammer home how can this installation how can this experience capture existing community or create new kinds of community uh and you know i know we had a, a brief conversation before we actually started recording the podcast but what comes to mind for me is a lot of the concerts that have gone uh, digital and some of the really creative ways that artists who understand their their demographics uh, have tried to tap into those demographics. So a lot of cutting edge pop acts um, and uh, chart toppers today that have a really young audience turned to Minecraft or Roblox, for example, which are online, mm -hmm. basically Lego style video games for those that are unfamiliar. And uh, they're online, you can play with multiple people, and people host concerts on there, so you digitally rave with your friends. And that has been a tremendous success and has been a great way to tap into existing and build new community. So I know that's a lot of context, but I'm curious y'all's thoughts on the importance of community in the future of AV installations as we see a more hybridized, both in-person and digital blend of experiences. How can we continue to tap into that community and do you consider it to be just as important, if not more. Give us your thoughts. Um, we're moving into that space. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's what um, 40 Fun, which we um, uh, founded in October, um, is really moving into that space in a big way. What we're finding is that, you know, people like Travis Scott, who you mentioned, um, and uh, Marshmallow, Lil Nas X, they, they all went into these virtual gaming platforms and gamifying the music experience, um, what they found is, you know, maybe they were selling out a stadium, you know, that, that had however many thousands of people. Now they're playing to millions. So Travis Scott is a great example. I believe it was 48 million people went to that Travis Scott experience. I think they played it seven times or something like that. But 48 million fans he was able to reach. 
without touring, without, you know, the expense of touring, um, without the limitations of the stadiums and that sort of thing. And I think that once we're back to concerts and music festivals, and I think I mentioned this before, I think these kinds of experiences are not going to go away. Um, so what we're looking at is how to level up, you know, from that experience and do something even more outstanding and create something that has a lot more presence than, you know, what you've seen so far. So that's what uh, 4D Fun was basically formed to look at is the virtual live experience and taking it from having an avatar of an artist performing into a volumetric 4D experience where you're actually um, getting those micro expressions and, and getting to see that artist and get up close and personal and have other things to do in that experience, like gamifying the experiences as well. Yeah, so I was gonna say, part of the thing that excites me about this question is that it's it's right here and right now. Um, I'm a, uh, on the board of the Western Division of the Themed Entertainment Association, and one of our next events that we're talking about having is going to be in the metaverse and doing something where we have a room and we can actually see each other and dance and you know have a comic or whatever come in and entertain us or whatever because people are tired of they have zoom fatigue and mm -hmm. you have to level up and to jenny's point i i mean i think it was already starting to happen where there's i can't remember the company and jenny maybe you know who this is or, or one of you gals trisha maybe but that was doing this for nfl games where they were doing an, an in you know as it was occurring vr experience where if you had a headset you could be at the game that was dreamland xr um okay. that's one of my uh, good friends and partners and it's actually dreamland um and yes. one of the and one of the partners that has worked with that in alt space that we're talking about for yes. the TEA event actually yes, uh, Tra yes, yes. Tracy called me and I, I I helped set that up. Yeah, Tracy actually had her birthday, you know, doing that. It was really cool. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. That was in the that was in the um the, the Black Rock City VR experience in alt space. Super yeah, fun. I went to the Dreamland XR thing and and we're talking about Tracy Balls, who's also with the Themed Entertainment Association. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, um, talking about these experiences, it's been happening for quite a long time, Daniel. If you think back, um, all of these gaming platforms have been taking um, the younger adults away from to reality and putting them into new worlds. And this has really absolutely benefited the ease of use for um, the future of um, these new platforms of bringing entertainment and live events into and a, and a comfort level because they already know how to use these 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 systems and they understand how they work so it was really a very natural thing to happen um for some of the older groups it's 
like a wow experience and um, they're struggling to learn how to use them, but they are learning. And the younger adults are engaging with the older groups to bring them in to um, what's happening today. And of course, our younger kids, we have to really watch carefully for, to make sure that, um, <laughs> you know, they are not overusing these things because they, they are natural users of technology and this is their life. Um, they came into this. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a pretty easy switch for everyone from la live to, um, to gaming platforms, I think, in my opinion. I wanted to use an example of the not easy to switch. Uh, so <laughs> SCGD, we have an annual um, event called XLab, which focuses kind of on the, the digital experiences. And we had it virtually in January. And one of our speakers, uh, Svetlana Legetic, she did a lot of the events for the Smithsonian. And so she was working with the Air and Space Museum at the Smithsonian when COVID hit. And they did something which was completely unique for an organization like the Smithsonian. I don't know if anyone saw it, but they did what was called space songs. And they had these virtual headliners, including Sting, including Diplo, who were coming together to talk kind of to balance between popular culture, talking about being in outer space and astronauts talking about that kind of living in separation, living distance from other individuals as this, you know, reflecting on what COVID felt like. This is so far out for an organization like that. They are now working with Diplo and producing their own um, music albums. Can you believe the National Air and Space Museum? And, and the same person <laughs> is doing that with LGBTQ across all the Smithsonian platforms. So, you know, we talk a lot about what has been, you know, negative on behalf of maybe some of what we consider the more traditional institutions. But if you would go to Air and Space and you want to do something with media or AV, you know, you're one or two people or a family, now they're able to actually, you know, magnify that and reach new audiences in new different ways. So that to me is really exciting. And um, we, I, I really don't think we would have seen something like that happen so quickly if it weren't for this I situation that. that we're in. Yeah. Sabelle, that is such a great example. And yeah. you're absolutely right. That's, it's fantastic and exciting at the same time that we're capable of offering this to everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, check it out. It's really fun. <laughs> so it's, you know, what's the real kick is speaking on a panel in VR. So I spoke on panels at CES and also um, Sundance in alt space in a headset. <laughs> Looks like we're going to need to do the next one of these in VR then. Right. I love that. <laughs> I think that. so. Yes. All right. I'm going to go ahead and uh, transition over to another part of our conversation. We've spoken a lot about COVID impact, about technology changes, about shifts in the industry. But now I want to speak a bit more to your place as women in the industry. I love that we have a panel full of leaders in various regards within the industry and, um, you know, 
everything from folks I've joined recently in the industry and folks with 20 plus years of experience. So there's a lot to pull from here. And I want to learn more about your vision for women in the AV industry and uh, some of the uh, opportunities as well as potential challenges there. So in your current role in the industry, uh, and this is, I guess, for everyone, can you tell me what and how it is, you know, what, what those roles look like day to day, but more specifically, why would this role be attractive to uh, women wanting to join the AV industry? And what are some of the opportunities for career growth, as well as maybe unexpected intersections with other soft or hard skills that you think would be appealing? I'm in business development, <laughs> and which kind of straddles that marketing PR. And it's not hard to find women in this um, realm, even in audiovisual or, or, or tech. And even within our greater company, in terms of, we don't have a whole lot of tech, um, AV techs that are women. We mm -hmm. have project managers and we have plenty of women in our company and also in senior positions. But to me, I think it's, it's, uh, it's lacking because I, I really think it's just women don't know about it and don't, aren't taught about it. But that's a, that might be another conversation. But for me, there's plenty of women and I feel like very empowered in my position. I, I would love to hear from Tony. Yes, that's what I was just going to say. I'm like, Tony, come on, chime in here. So I totally agree with what Lisa just said. I think women just don't know. I fell into this industry because life throws curveballs and needed a job and started out. Uh, my dad gave me a job at his company at the current time. Next thing I know, I'm building racks, AV racks, and doing ride and choke control systems. And I just think that women out there don't understand or know that there's an opportunity to do that. Yes, there's plenty of business development and marketing women out there, but actual technicians and programmers and engineers that are women are very few. And when Trisha and I started talking about this podcast, I had a very difficult time trying to find a female engineer or a female programmer. And I just don't know how we can better communicate to the, the women out there that this is really cool. <laughs> it is cool. I wish I knew more. I, uh, I mean, honestly, at high school, I went into the medical field. And um, like I said, because of a curveball in life, needed a job, got dumped into the AV industry, and I loved it. And I'm, I'm very happy that I had a good experience coming up through the ranks. I had a good support team from guys. I didn't feel like they looked down upon me because I was a woman. And I was out there on site installing speakers, installing displays. And uh, yeah, I wish there was a better way that we could communicate to the next geners that are coming through to expand or to do the engineering and do the programming because there's not a lot of those out there. I think it's starting to change out there personally, but um, I would love to hear from you uh, firsthand. Uh, sorry to put you on the spot there, but um, what, what about your job? and the, the work that you do or did um, in that role, do you think women might be uniquely suited for? I think programming, I think mm -hmm. I'm a social butterfly. Okay. So I love what I'm doing now that I'm doing business development and account management because I like doing the clients um, relationship mm -hmm. stuff. 
But if I hadn't started where I was and being a technician and being a site supervisor and moving up in the ranks, you know, that obviously helped me grow with who I am today. But I really do feel like that there's opportunity for those smart women out there to be the to programming the show, making the magic happen mm -hmm. behind the scenes. And, and that's who really makes the magic happen are the guys and the girls behind the scenes. I, I agree fully. I, you know, I had an experience um, kind of early in my career. We were doing a, a 3D projection mapping um, for Universal Studios in Orlando. And we had installed systems in, you know, kind of a little further down the path, we changed the media servers we decided to install there due to uh, budgetary constraints or whatever. And so we installed these server racks and show control. And then, um, you know, the guy that installed them for us kind of shrugged and said, well, I've never really worked with these. And everybody was uh -huh. like looking around at each other. I was a production manager at the time. And so I just said, well, I'll program them. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I programmed see. the show um, and I figured it out. And everybody's looking at me going like, well, have you done that before? And I'm like, well, no, I just, I figured it out because I think that, um, Sometimes women are really good at multitasking. Absolutely. <laughs> a lot a lot of times I think. Yeah. You know, it it's interesting because we have a lot at SCGD, we have a lot of outreach to design, you know, education programs. I'm seeing a lot more young women from outside of the US or um, you know, they're coming to the US, but they're from another country. Why is that? I don't know. Is that our lack of focus on STEM? You know, that's one thing that I've observed. But in my field of museum and interactive media, there have been trailblazers. They just really weren't acknowledged. I mean, I just want to call mm -hmm. out a few. Donna Lawrence, who's a film producer, mm -hmm. she was doing things in three dimension before projection mapping was there. If you know that um, stellar film that she produced for the Constitution Center, mm -hmm. nobody was doing that. Nobody was thinking of those kind of theatrical experimentation of projection, live action, film, scrim, you know, in a setting like that. And, you know, there's been people in AV integration, like I think of Sulep with DMP, you know, that was quite a long time ago that they started doing AV integration. And then Julie Baylor, who founded Second Story, they were one of the first individuals to think about interactive media. What's an interactive table? You know, mm -hmm. interactive databases and things like that. So the women have been there as trailblazers. I don't think they get the recognition of the men, but I do see more women coming into the practice, but they are tending to come from you know, other countries or an international background. So I think we need to do better. I think we need to focus on the kinds of programming. I think we also need to, you know, reach kids in high school and in community college because those are great opportunities. And um, there's so much now blending of technology and art as well, which I think is really exciting. I would agree. Uh, there's a there's a group, um, Women in AR and VR, um, that I'm part of, and I'm seeing a lot of young women um, jumping into the VR space and augmented reality and that's awesome. doing some amazing work and really touching work, really moving work in these spaces as well. 
Um, so I think it is, it is slowly changing. I think, um, you know, physical production was maybe a little bit harder for women to jump into aside from you, Tony. Um, so kudos to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. But yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that this, uh, this new space, women are jumping in and they're embracing it and they're pushing back when it turns into a boys club because we're seeing a lot of that, of course. Um, and I think that, you know, in um, physical AV installation work and that sort of thing, I think maybe, and this is just really a guess, but I think it was almost akin to the construction trades is how it was viewed. And it was just yeah. immediately um, a real boys club because boys they were, club. you know, mm-hmm. lifting the projectors and rigging and, and doing all of the other heavy lifting kind of construction trade work as part of that, that hat that, you know, is physical production. So, you know, what's funny is I don't think it's a lack of interest. Um, When I was earlier on, when I was going to school, um, I had an internship at a news station in Albuquerque, Mm -hmm. New Mexico, and we were covering the balloon fiesta. And as an intern, my job was to go out to the balloon fiesta with the truck. And I had to go up on the truck and position the satellite. (laughs) And that's what I did, you know, and so it was, it was fun. And I'm total, and I did the camera operating on the floor when it was the newscast. And I did teleprompter and I did a lot of things that were seen as um, mostly guys, you know, at the time, but I was there and I was, I had fun. I enjoyed it. So when I started thinking about putting this podcast together, I had an interest in knowing um, if it was just a perception that it was more men than women. And I took some time to call up a few um, young women, some still in school studying and some next geners to get an opinion. And my conversation was interesting. They're very passionate about what they do, and they love technology. They found that the platform that they had entered as an engineer was a man's world, and that they felt intimidated. And I felt very sad to hear that. So instead of engineering and integration, they moved on to creative, where they were more accepted, and they had more recognition. So they were felt that they were not being recognized or women were not being recognized for the feats and the things that they were creating and felt that they needed to move on so that they were in a happier world because they're very passionate about what they do. Women are passionate people. Mm-hmm. So I asked them what they felt could be changed. And what I got back was that they wanted to see more social media that publicized winners of women in the industry that were winning at challenges and creating new solutions and that we should be highlighted for our efforts, that they would like to see those as mentors and have mentors to be encouraged to go forward and have someone to talk to or platforms that they could join, that they could talk with other women that were strong women in the industry. I thought that was really interesting conversation that I had, but that is the main thing that it came that came out from my conversations with these women and that they they do love the industry and they do love creating and they do do love the challenges. And I have a young woman in my office um, named Jessica and she's incredibly talented and she is as happy on the floor programming computers with the boys while they're wiring 
as she is at her desk doing marketing for me. And that's the multitasking women are capable of doing. We just mm-hmm. want to do multiple things because we're interested in multiple things. So um, this was really fun to get together with you ladies and have this conversation. And I think we need to have more conversations like this and create more platforms amongst us so that we can continue the conversations. I agree. I think it's been great. I love that. I agree. Now, and it, and it makes me think, Tricia, that we probably need to have more advocacy Mm-hmm. for these individuals and, and outreach and ways for them to connect and to be empowered and to be inspired. And um, I, I just, you know, the other thing is that I am seeing some women in the kind of the intersection of the creative and the digital realm. And I just want to mention a person, if you don't know her, you should look her up. Karen Palmer, she's in the UK and she is calls herself storyteller from the future, but she is using technology and interactive and projection mapping, even virtually now Mm -hmm. to explore, you know, racial bias and, and things like that. So, you know, I am seeing some women kind of, you know, cross those boundaries and take a leadership role in new different ways, like ethics Mm -hmm. and other things, but yeah, just thank you for pulling this together because it, it was very inspiring for me personally. (laughs) <laughs> agreed, agreed. agreed. Mm-hmm. on that note everyone I want to end with one last question uh, Sabelle thank you for bringing up advocacy uh, I basically just want to hear from each one of y'all as we close out the podcast what kind of advocacy work do you see yourself doing to bring more women and honestly just a broader pool of diversity into the AV industry And why do you feel that each of your roles has a a unique opportunity to provide a a different but holistic kind of advocacy? So let's go down the line. Uh, We'll start with Sibel since you brought it up. Oh, my goodness. Um, Well, I'm doing a lot of outreach, and I I like that people brought up LinkedIn. I've kind of opened myself up to help um, mentor, and I'm working through our education channels. We have a diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice uh, committee that we formed. And I am looking, and this is interesting, at XLab, I brought in students from FIT. I'm really embracing bringing young students, emerging professionals into our forum so that they can get exposure, so that they can get connected because that's really hard for young people in the virtual is to get jobs, to to see what opportunities are out there. So that's what I'm doing a lot of is trying to be as inclusive as possible. And if I can't be a mentor or be a support, I'm trying to connect, you know, with other people in our network um, to build that kind of support and education. That's great. I love that. All right, Jenny, how about you? Same question. I'm very active um, with the Producers Guild and the Women's Impact Network within the Producers Guild. Um, So, you know, we're always trying to lift each other up and get together on on topics of equity and inclusion. Um, And that also includes uh, diversity as well. It's something that we... uh, really do a lot of work towards. Other organizations I've been involved in, um, I'm a member of Women in Animation, and I used to be a member in Women in Film, and um, only uh, set that aside temporarily because uh, I was uh, so involved um, when I became Vice President of the Producers Guild. 
I could only spread myself so thin. I'm also very involved in the TEA, but I would, um, there's something to be said, um, about holding up that mirror. And, and I liked, you know, what you said, I think it was Trisha about people wanting to see other women being showcased and holding up that mirror and seeing that that's an opportunity, I think for young people is, is hugely important. Um, so I think, you know, mentoring people, um, speaking, being present. I think that all of us are doing, I think that that's valuable as well. All right, Lisa, same question to you. For me, I feel like I'm advocating every day when I'm out there as a woman in the industry and meeting with, uh, you know, contractors and architects and uh, a lot of these industries that are male dominated. But also I'm on, the, like I mentioned, I'm on the board of the Themed Entertainment Association and I'm the co-chair of the communications committee. And you would think that our committee was full of women, but I'm sort of a cross advocate. I have mostly men <laughs> on my on my committee. And um, so I do advocating in both directions um, that it's not just um, women belong in a man's world, but men can join the women's club too <laughs> sometimes. Um, and also I'm a part of the, um, Avixa Women's Council. And so for me, I feel like the work that we do in trying to get women more involved is, um, is pretty substantial. That's my, that's my thing. Mm -hmm. Tony, how about for you? Where do you see advocacy fitting in, in your role? I support Lisa with the Avisca. I think that's a great market or channel. Here in Orlando, there's multiple colleges that we could go and do a um, presentation. This is Ringling Brother, uh, I'm sorry, Ringling College of Art and Design. Obviously, this Full Sail, Valencia. So a lot of the community colleges, they have degrees that I feel like that we could take advantage of that I should probably do more, work with Trisha and, and see if we want to go and talk to the kids. And I think that would be a way to help advocate women in the industry. And finally, Trisha, where do you see advocacy fitting into your role? So um, Mad Systems is a woman-owned company, and um, I was a past president of the TEA, uh, Western Division TEA, for many, many years, and vice president. And I um, have a lot of young women and young engineers that reach out to me because Mad Systems is an uh, engineering um, audiovisual uh, team. And um, so I uh, have a very open door policy for them to call me and we chat about direction and connections and I hook them up with people that they should know. And I'm always happy to do that. So making sure that they have some sort of mentor. So I reach out and um, talk to them when we're at mixers and ask them what they're doing and encourage them to continue. So that's um, mostly my outreach currently. Um, and as I said, I, you know, had spoken to several recently. And um, since this had come up, I asked them those questions. And because I have access to them, um, I was able to do so. So I always have an open door and, and invite them to call and I'm happy to encourage them in the direction that they need help with. I love that. 
What a note to end the podcast on. I think that does it. We're running up on the hour mark. So thank you to all of our guests today for this fantastic roundtable on the state of the AV industry, how women will continue to integrate into the industry and lead the AV industry moving forward, and what aspects of COVID are permanent, which are temporary, and how we can come out of COVID ahead in the AV industry with a more hybrid, digital, and community-led approach. So thank you again to all of our guests. We'll go down the line again. Thank you to Trisha Ensing, CEO of Mad Systems, Tony Lozier, Business Development Manager with Mad Systems, Lisa J. Shanley, Director of Global Business Development with Techno Media, Jenny Ogden, President and Executive Producer of IQ Productions, as well as COO and Co-Founder of 4D Fun, and last but not least, Sabelle Jones, CEO of SEGD, Society for Experiential Graphic Design. Thank you to all five of you. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much, Daniel. Thanks, Trisha. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, everyone. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, ladies, for joining. Uh Bye-bye. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Mad About AV, a Mad Systems podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're heading to our website, madsystems.com, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.